People are always asked, like, what was it like growing up, you know, with Deepak Chopra as your father? And I'll mm-hmm. say my brother and I, we don't really think of our lives as very different. You know, we kind of were very mainstream, you know, kids and in our work and whatnot. But I do think whether it's um, and we've seen this, you know, I've recently taken on the CEO role of my father's company, Chopra Global. Um, mm-hmm. And what we see is that often people begin a journey of um, healing or self-discovery at these pivotal points. They've lost someone that they love. They're going through a divorce or a breakup. Um, They've been diagnosed with a disease or in my case, you know, becoming a new role in your life. And, you know, those are times where you do deep, do, do deep reflection. Yeah. And you think about, you know, these core questions that we ask, who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? Which is how can I serve myself and serve others? Um, and what am I grateful for? Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Miss Malika Chopra. She is the daughter of Deepak Chopra, who I've interviewed many times, and I'm actually looking forward to interviewing him again. I was already a fan of his and love his work. And when I was approached to interview his daughter, Malika, who has actually taken over as CEO of the Chopra Center worldwide, I was super excited to get to know her. And Malika has a book that recently came out. It's actually a children's book. It's called Buddha and the Rose. Now, here's what's interesting. It is technically a children's book. It's a beautifully illustrated children's book. The book was authored by Malika, and it was illustrated by, I hope I pronounced this right, (laughs) Niha Ruat. But what's interesting about this book and what I said to Malika during our interview is that although it is a children's book, it's actually a book for everybody. And here's why. The story is a beautiful story about the Buddha, and he is meditating in a beautiful garden, and he's meditating on the beauty and majesty of a single red rose. And children are gathered around the Buddha, and they are wondering, what is the Buddha doing? What is he trying to teach them? Why is he simply sitting still with his eyes closed, holding a single red rose in his hands? And I'm not going to give away the whole story, but suffice to say, this is a lesson that I learned during quarantine a couple of years ago. And I share this during the episode that when we were all in lockdown and of course, everybody's favorite pastime during 2020 was walking, (laughs) right? Everybody just became an avid walker or biker. But every day when I would take my quarantine walk around my community, because there wasn't much else to do other than Netflix, I would start to notice things that I had never noticed in my previous 45 years on this planet. So let me explain quickly without rambling on too much. I started to zero in on the simplest of things, a blue sky with beautiful white fluffy clouds, 
a beautiful majestic tree swaying in the wind. Some beautifully colorful tulips that were planted in a neighbor's garden that I still think about all the time because they were just absolutely so stunningly breathtaking and colorful. And I started to have the thought like, hmm, this is very interesting. These things have been around me and in my environment for many years, but somehow I never really stopped to see them. And nature and our earth and all of the wonderful free gifts that we have been blessed with by God, our creator, the universe, mother nature, whatever your belief system is, it really doesn't matter. But we are in a magical, wonderful place. And sometimes we just don't stop to look around um, I'm stammering over my words because this is this is really important and it's coming from the heart. It's not scripted. I never write down my intros, but we never really stop to look around and say, oh my God, look at what we have been given. I can put my feet in the grass. I can hug a tree. I can look at the clouds in the sky. I can swim in the ocean. I can put my feet in the sand. I mean, it's the things that we've been given, even our bodies, the fact that we have these bodies, if you're blessed with a healthy body that can run and jump and, and do all of these amazing things, you're blessed. I mean, look at what we've been given in this world. So <laughs> I did go on a little bit long-winded, but the point is that is the lesson in this beautiful book, Buddha and the Rose by Malika Chopra. And that is the crux of what we discussed during our interview. And we also discussed what it was like growing up with Deepak Chopra as a dad. You know, what what was that like as, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult? So that's that stuff is pretty interesting too. So I would love for you to sit back and relax and welcome Ms. Malika Chopra to the podcast. Enjoy. So I actually want to start off by talking about the book. That's why I, I put it here, Buddha and the Rose. So this book really spoke to me because I can relate to it because I had a similar experience and I'm going to explain how, okay? So during 2020, I was, I was in New York at the time and I, we were all on lockdown and the only thing that any of us could do, I don't know about how it was in California, but the other than going to the grocery store or the pharmacy, all we could do was just get out and take walks or bike rides or whatever. So every day I would, I would go outside and I would take a walk and I started to notice things that in my previous 45 years, I had never noticed. So I started to notice a tree some tulips in my neighbor's yard, the way the grass was moving with, with the breeze. And I started to notice things that um, I said to myself, I've been living on this earth for over four decades, and I've never really seen these things before. Um, and that's what the book reminded me of. So from there, I'm going to kind of let you go into what inspired uh, the book and, and why, you, why you wrote it. Well, thank you for sharing that because it's such a great example of what I think we need in the world right now. And that was really actually the inspiration behind the book. I think during the pandemic, you know, it's been a heavy time. And so I wanted to do something which felt a little bit more joyful, but really was about wonder. Um, and I think this story, um, which was a story that, you know, my dad, uh, Deepak Chopra, shared with me and my brother as we were growing up. 
this is one of the classic Buddhist stories. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's one of the classic stories. Um, I, uh, I, um, what's the word? I editorialized it a bit. Um, yeah. I made it a young girl's experience, but it is a story about where Buddha just, it was called the silent lecture and he just held his rose and didn't say anything. And um, one of his students kind of, you know, uh, had this experience of the connection to everything from that but like for me it was it was really a story about just the wonder of life the wonder of the of the world that we live in the connection that we have to everything from you know the smallest seed in a flower to you know how the universe uh, manifests itself and mm-hmm. our place in that um so it's a story i always loved and i felt felt appropriate for this time where we were desperate for some sort of connection and also having a connection to something that's bigger than ourselves uh, and a wonderful way to experience that is um, through nature um, and, and, you know, feeling that connection, whether it's to a flower, a tree, the galaxies, um, and then also, you know, um, how a simple object like a rose, or as as you mentioned, just the grass or whatnot, how it's connected to everything else. Um, and yeah. I think that helps, at least it, I hope, uh, it helps people feel a little bit more grounded in these times. So growing up with Deepak Chopra as your father and hearing stories like this, at what age did it become like, oh, I get it. You know, I'm sure at a certain age, it's like, oh, that's nice, dad. You know, but at at what age did you really make the connection? That's a great question. Um, We grew up um, in a family of storytellers. So it wasn't just a Buddhist. I would say it was across religion. It was mythology, whether it was Greek or Egyptian mythology or Hindu stories or stories of Jesus Christ. You know, my father just that's kind of what he does and is obsessed with. So we did grow up in um, just a household in a family of storytellers, which is why I think my brother and I evolved to tell stories in our own ways. We also learned um, practices um, like how to meditate, taking a mindful walk, actually what you described at the beginning. Mm -hmm really a mindful walk where you see new things, exercises like gratitude or setting intentions. All of this was part of our upbringing. Uh, and I would say, yes, my brother and I kind of often would roll our eyes um, like, OK, now there's the new exercise <laughs> what to do. Um, and, you know, I share a lot of those exercises in my Just Be series, the books, other books, how-to books for kids. And so, you know, but I don't think there was an aha moment for me, actually, until I was much later in life. So my aha moment came much later, actually, when I was about 30. um, And I was pregnant with my first daughter. And I started to think about, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? How am I going to be as a mom? And what are the stories and traditions and practices that I want? It suddenly became more relevant to my life. um, And I really appreciate that. So, you know, I actually have a book for adults called Living with Intent, Um, my somewhat messy journey to purpose, peace, and joy. And in that, I talk a lot more about these 
points in our life. Um, and you described that beautifully when you said, you know, for 45 years or whatnot, you hadn't seen the world that way. Yeah. And there was a shift. And I, I've found in my life, there are many shifts, you know, but there, there are many, probably shifts that I can articulate that were a change. And for me, one of those was when I was 30 pregnant, but I've had many of those, you know, along. Can I tell you something? I'm not surprised you said 30. I had a feeling you were going to say 30 something. I had a similar experience at 32 when my grandfather was dying and he was the first person that was an immediate family member that I had ever experienced where I witnessed the dying process. Okay. And I, at first I was, I was very grief stricken. I was very, very upset, but then I had this thought that came to me and the thought was, where is he going? And I really needed to know where he was going. And I ended up picking up Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And then that led me on a journey. And then actually, I remember I interviewed your father because I've interviewed him twice and I, I'm going to interview him a third time. But the very first time I interviewed your father, I will never forget this because it was right after I read that book. So my mind was kind of open and I was receptive. And he said to me, you know, you know, there's no such thing as time. Right. And I. I'm like, what are you talking about? We had a time to meet today, <laughs> you know? And he said, no, 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 no. There, you know, time is just the movement of thought. He said, have you ever noticed that if you are running late and you're rushing to make a deadline, you feel like time is never long enough and you're running out of time. And you could be sitting in a waiting room for five minutes and you feel like you're sitting there for an hour if you're waiting for important news or you're waiting to see the doctor or, you know, something like that. And I said, you know, I never thought of it like that, that we can actually stretch and shrink time. And then my journey kind of went from there. And then I became pregnant with my son when I was 33. And then, you know, you have that full circle of life moment and you want to infuse your child with wisdom. And in order to do that, you have to develop wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and so yeah. that's the thing people are always asked, like, what was it like growing up, you know, with Deepak Chopra as your father? And I'll mm -hmm. say my brother and I, we don't really think of our lives as very different. You know, we kind of were very mainstream, you know, kids and in our work and whatnot. But I do think whether it's, um, and we've seen this, you know, I've recently taken on the CEO role of my father's company, Chopra Global. Um, mm -hmm. And what we see is that often people begin a journey of um, healing or self-discovery at these pivotal points. They've lost someone that they love. They're going through a divorce or a breakup. Um, they've been diagnosed with a disease or right. in my case, you know, becoming a new role in your life. And, you know, those are times where you do deep, do, do deep reflection. Yeah. And you think about, you know, these core questions that we ask, who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? Which is how can I serve myself and serve others? Um, and what am I grateful for? Have you yourself ever had an existential crisis where something happened in your life and you started questioning your very identity? And how did you then figure out a way to propel yourself forward? So I wouldn't say I've had an existential crisis, but I have definitely had moments where I pause and I reflect with those questions. And then I kind of set the intentions for change, which begin the process of taking action to change. So um, 
when I was in my 20s, I had my dream job. I was launching MTV in India. It was a very fun. Um, oh, it's so yeah, awesome. Okay. It was a very fun, very global. Like, you know, I could get into any nightclub I wanted and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I had an experience in my 20s, which was um, finding myself in a car after some very, a very successful day of meetings driving through a slum and seeing, you know, the poorest of the poor children um, mm -hmm. mesmerized by um, a television that was actually showing MTV. It was a huge success, whereas my heart stopped and I thought, God, is this what I meant to do? Um, you okay. know, doing here. And so that was like a moment of reflecting on how do I, even though I can have like the most exciting kind of, you know, job doing stuff, is that really how I want to serve? And so that was kind of one pivotal point early in my life, in my career, which then shaped kind of how I worked. I, it didn't mean that I changed overnight, but it's mm -hmm. a stage of, I want to kind of serve in a different way. Another pivotal point was in my thirties when I was pregnant, but it was actually on 9-11 when I was five months pregnant, and I think many people have their 9-11 story and memory, I was five months pregnant. We thought that my brother was on one of the planes um, for a few hours. And so it was this real crisis point of, oh, my God, I'm so I was so excited about becoming a mom and the magic and all of that, the love, and joy, and it suddenly turned to panic and fear. And so um, I ended up just, you know, out of stress, um, going to the hospital to observe my baby and thinking like, OK, who am I again? Like as a mom, how am I going to serve? And then the next pivotal point came, I would say, in my 40s. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. the theme here, it like, seems like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every decade. Um, yeah. <laughs> In my 40s, when my kids were like probably 10 to 12 years old, and I was on stage like talking about meditation and mindfulness and being present. And at the same time, I was thinking, oh, I just had that double macchiato and chocolate chip cookie to get the yes, energy. Yes, I heard you say that. On stage. <laughs> um, I have to get the dry cleaning. I have to do this. And I was like, oh, my God, here I am <laughs> talking about being present and I'm a total mess. Um, yeah. And that began another stage, which was more about self-care, I would say, than some of my other um, previous incarnations. <laughs> so and now I just turned 50 last year. And so I'm sure um, it's been an interesting time for me because my latest incarnation is thinking more, you know, um, I'm like part of that sandwich generation of parents and children. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's like a new role. So Yes. So talk, so talk to me about, because I'm 47, talk to me about the experience of turning 50. Yeah, it's an interesting stage because my kids are now, one's in college, one's going to be a senior in high school. So they are definitely like you're at a stage in life where you're not like just trying to survive daily to live, right? Like with your kids right. and carpooling and getting them to activities and all that. Like, so I've kind of overcome that phase in terms of my work like I've done well like you know I'm like financially secure and I'm not again my husband and I are just trying to meet ends meet and you know like etc we're like you know we just bought a new house like we're in a good place in our life and so I'm actually at a place where I can think okay like really how can I really serve in the way that's best for me now like it's become more of a like 
what do I want versus what am I doing for everyone else? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is very liberating um, and really exciting and almost nerve wracking though, because I don't really know. Um, And then what happened to me is when I turned 50 at the same time, um, I ended up kind of taking on this role in my dad's company, something I had avoided my entire life. But I think part of turning 50 was also like, okay, I need to help my parents at this stage in their life too. They both are healthy and vibrant, but they move. I help them move. I help, I'm helping my dad think about the company. So it's also become part of my dad's legacy. So Mm -hmm. which is interesting because it's not just about me at the same time. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. And then exactly as you said, suddenly I'm like, wait, did I just get a hot flash? Like, (laughs) and it's like, my body is like, oh my God, I never had experiences. And like, I'm telling you the hot flashes has been this new thing where I'm like, it can't really be that. And then I'm like, but uh, yeah, it is that actually. So coming to terms with the reality of aging too. Yeah, that that's what I'm finding is a tough one because I, like I said, I go back and forth with it and I, you know, I love what Jennifer Lopez said in her Netflix documentary because she, I think she's 53 now. She said, this is just halftime. So I try to repeat that affirmation to myself. I'm like, I love that. This is halftime, you know, and who, you know, lots of wild and wonderful adventures are next, you know. And there are opportunities. So in my 40s, and it's so funny to be in a stage where you can think of decades, like I can literally think of my life in decades. Yeah. In my 40s, I did have more freedom as my children were growing older, you know, in those teenager, like 10, uh, 15 age group. So I ended up going back to school. I went and did a master's in education and psychology at Columbia. Um, And it was such an interesting time because I had started, you know, writing more of these books and things like that. And then I realized like, I really like I have my MBA from when I was younger, but I was like, now I really want to even I'm by nature more academic. I'm like, I really want to dive into the academics of things that I'm really interested in. Um, So I actually, it it did provide new opportunity to, to also, um, and I was the oldest in my class. Like (laughs) I became like the mentor to a lot of younger students. Did you bring like the whole family to the East coast or how, how did you do it? So it was a combination of in-person and online, which was even before COVID um, hit, but I was able to do like some summers there where yes, I took my kids to, New York for the summers. My parents have an apartment there. So they got to spend time with their grandparents and enjoy New York. And then during the rest of it, I I was online. So it was amazing, an amazing experience, a new opportunity that I could only do when I was older. Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to talk about your your father's legacy. And it's interesting because I feel like he was very ahead of his time. You know, now especially now with social media and with YouTube, we're able to access information about meditation, about what it means to have a soul, about life's purpose, um, even things about, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm a complete near-death experience nerd. So I, I read a lot of stories and, and, uh, and I watch a lot of documentaries about kind of like where we came from, why we're here, where we go. And I personally feel that it's just a never ending circle. I don't really believe in birth or death. Um, And I feel like your father 
was in tune with this kind of information decades ago when people would be like, what are you talking about? You know, everybody kind of revered him as almost this supernatural man, because it's like, how, how do you know these things? Where are you getting this information from? Um, because especially since his background was as a traditional physician at one point, did he ever sit down and discuss with you how he came to these kinds of realizations at a time when it was very fringe and not so mainstream? Yeah. So, you know, my, um, my father, um, my uncle and my grandfather all were traditional Western educated doctors, very much indoctrinated um, in kind of Western, um, a very hard academic Western uh, framework. But I think for my father, what happened, the experience of meditating for the first time um, was a transformational experience for him that kind of gave him a sense of freedom and connect everything we talk about in Buddha and the Rose, that kind of uh, connection uh, mm -hmm. to something bigger. Now, my dad, because he's a scientist, um, really became fascinated early on um, with Ayurveda, um, which is, you know, uh, the wisdom tradition of India's healing tradition. And so actually, it's not that he's saying anything new. What my dad's um, ability is, is to um, speak in a language that allows people to connect with these wisdom traditions from thousands of years ago. So okay. everything he's doing is um, really part of traditions that have been there for thousands of years. He's just bringing a language and actually the scientific rigor over the last 20 to 30 to 40 years has kind of caught up with a lot of what he's talking about. But because by nature, he's a doctor and a scientist, you know, he's brought that science element um, to it as well. Um, I think I think maybe us in the West, were a little bit slower to catch on. Yeah. You know, as I'm hearing you explain it, I'm like, you know what? The, yeah, these traditions and this wisdom has been around for thousands of years. However, in the West, it, I, I really feel like it's only maybe in the last 20 years that people are really understanding it and embracing it in a certain way, which is yeah, wonderful. You know? And I think, um, as you pointed out, it's because technology has changed. So, you know, there's more ways to access information. But another big factor has been research. There's been mm -hmm. more research to show the benefits of me meditation or mindfulness techniques or yoga. And I think we live in a society um, worldwide. It's not just in the West where now science validation gives yes. assurance that, oh, then this is worth my time. Yes. Um, so. Absolutely. I want to ask your your take on um, on India and Indian culture. So in one respect, a lot of beautiful spiritual traditions come from that part of the world. In another respect, there is um, a caste system and there are parts of India where people are impoverished and why, why does that old system still stay in place in the face of such spiritual enlightenment, I guess I would say? So, you know, I think the U.S. also um, has the same kind of poverty and inequality. And, you know, I think that is part of, um, you know, different societies. So I don't think that's a quite, yes, Indian in 
in Hinduism, there is a history of the caste system and untouchables and things like that. But with time, yesterday was the 70th, 75th anniversary of Indian independence. Um, okay. And Gandhi was a big proponent of changing um, change um, and, you know, uh, bringing more um, even legal equality to people. And so I think change takes time. I mean, you're talking about um, you know, cultures that have lasted for thousands of years. Um, you know, this country was built on slavery and we're still dealing with that. Um, yeah. so, you know, I think they're, um, you know, so we have to just recognize change takes time. Um, and yes, there are wisdom traditions globally, whether that's in India, um, whether that's Buddhist traditions, whether it's Native American traditions here or um, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian um, mm -hmm. um, spiritual traditions or their, um, you know, the Sufis or in Islamic traditions, where I think, again, over time have been um, subdued because as civilization evolved, um, you know, we shifted in terms of, you know, the way in which uh, we uh, relied on science and things like that. And I think this is an interesting time in history, where with more access to information, we're going back to some of those traditions, um, or we're rediscovering them. Uh, and so I think that's a similar what's happening, um, you know, with what we're seeing with meditation and many of these practices. But I think um, India is um, an incredibly uh, complex, um, very uh, old cult cultures, meaning it's not even a country. The British made it a country. Right. But, uh, you know, and so, you know, we the British put paradigms around um, so many countries in the world. And I think that's, you know, we're 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 in a big shift uh, as well. OK. Do you ever get frightened? Do you ever get anxiety? Do you ever let the headlines of the world, uh, I guess, overwhelm you and frighten you? Or, or are you able to put things in perspective in a way that maybe a lot of people are not? And if so, how do you do that? So um, I'm obsessed with the headlines and I have, oh, okay. a, I have <laughs> a lot of anxiety and stress about what's happening in this country. Uh, what, uh, you know, to be honest, in India, where there's also like, you know, um, uh, you know, more of a fundamentalist kind of government right now. And we see that in many countries like this kind of nativism and, you know, the world is really obsessed with identity right now, um, mm -hmm. you know, power structures and things like that so actually that by nature is kind of I am really obsessed with that and so I have to discipline myself actually to step away from the headlines to do my meditation practices to go and feel grounded outside in nature and I remember in the pandemic I did on Instagram like just a simple meditation for children that I was finding helpful for myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was just going outside and putting my feet on the ground and taking a deep breath and yep. feeling I am grounded, I am safe. And then taking another breath and kind of with my hand on my heart and really feeling like, okay, I am here, like really feeling present in the body. Um, and then kind of another third breath focusing on 
on, you know, the space between my head and the roof above and the skies and the universe beyond. I just, I am, and like feeling part, like in Buddha and the Rose of something. Mm -hmm. But so for me, actually, um, I have to consciously um, do exercises to ground myself again. So that's how I And do you go, because I do this, do you go, do you stand barefoot outside sometimes? Sometimes, yes, I do. Okay. I try to because, again, a lot of research is showing the benefits of grounding yeah. um, and being connected to the earth. But honestly, for me, as much as as we started this conversation, I find the healing of going outside and going for a walk and just really kind of, and I do this with kids all the time, using your five senses to, you know, smell, to kind of look at the colors, to listen to the sounds, um, Mm -hmm. to feel kind of the wind blowing on your um, skin. So really be very mindful and conscious um, when you are outside. By the way, there's a funny story that when I was watching some of your, I don't know if it was a TED talk, but you were talking about when you met with uh, Eckhart Tolle and you were anxious to interview him and ask him a bunch of questions. And because he's so in the present moment, was it bells that he was listening to? Yes. He said, wait, listen to the bells, <laughs> listen to the bells. <laughs> and you realized you had no choice but to stop and listen to the bells with him, which I thought was. <laughs> it's a great example, that story you brought up, um, time and timelessness. Mm-hmm. I was still focused on like, the 15 minutes that I had and he spent mm-hmm. the first nine minutes just wanting to listen. I mean, I literally know because I was looking at my clock, um, listening to the bells. You know, I had all this anxiety until I let go and was really present. And then after that, he ended up spending an hour and a half with me. So, you know, yeah. it was, but yes, it was a really funny um, illustrative story about, um, you know, just being so focused on goals um, and goal, you know, achieving things versus, you know, really what was the intention behind that experience. Right. And being present. And you must have said to yourself, like, wow, he's not full of it. He really is this way. (laughs) Yeah, no, he was amazing. You know, he reminded me very much of my grandfather, which was just Mm -hmm. this sweet, sweet nature, Um, a lovely person. That's nice. Do you pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? So, no, I don't pray really. Um, You know, that isn't really part of our tradition, but I am a very um, regular now. I've gone through phases in my life, but I'm a very regular meditator. Like, so for me, my practice is really um, a mantra based meditation where I quiet my mind. Um, and then what I do, um, and I try to do this with my kids too, is, you know, I set intentions. Um, I think about service and, um, I also try to appreciate and express gratitude, like consciously, mm-hmm. um, that's more of my practice, uh, per se. So that's, it's kind of your form of prayer. I think meditation is kind of a form of prayer. It's all, it's like all roads lead to Rome, I think. Yeah, and well, I think, and absolutely. I mean, it's not like I'm praying, for me, it's not I'm praying to a God per se. Right. I'm kind of connecting to more of, you know, um, my uh, universal spirit or consciousness and just in that grounded space, having more um, clarity on my intentions and what I want in my life. Um, mm-hmm. planting those seeds um, and then, you know, and then kind of figuring out the ways to manifest them or letting the universe mm-hmm. 
take care of the details, as my dad would say. <laughs> yes. Are you, do you, are you, I don't want to use the word obsessed, but are you um, fascinated by any past period in time or any uh, famous world event that took place in the past? And if so, what is it? Uh, what a great question. Um, I will say, you know, I am fascinated by Buddha um, and that mm -hmm. time of history. Um, and so, again, th that's why this book was kind of relevant um, to that. And, you know, what I when I was thinking about writing this book, one of the things that I took away from that is like, we don't see any women or girls in those stories, um, at, you know, often. And so that's why with this story, I purposely um, did research and found that the, you know there was this young maid, a maiden girl, um, Sujata at the time, who was the person um, who gave him the milk when he broke his fast. And so okay. that's why kind of when I was saying I editorialized a bit, like I basically, you know, I said, okay, like, let's bring in a new character here who we don't see in the history books that much. And let's bring in a young girl. Uh, and so that was really actually part of um, my process when I was thinking about this book, because I am fascinated by that time. I'm fascinated by, you said this as well, you know, for Buddha, one of the turning points in his life was seeing a dead body you know, and like that was it, you know, there were certain experiences that mm -hmm. kind of shifted for him. Uh, and so, you know, I, I find uh, his story very fascinating. One of the greatest turning points in Buddha's life was seeing a dead body for the first time. Yeah. So, so Buddha was, um, he grew up as a prince uh, mm -hmm. and he grew up in an environment where they protected him from seeing anything. Um, and so one of, you know, he had certain experiences when he kind of left his palatial enclave um, and uh, at a young age. And one of the first things is he had never seen a dead body before. Um, and so that was something that kind of, you know, shook him up and began mm -hmm. uh, the journey. Um, he saw a, a poor person, like someone living in poverty. So, you know, he saw these um, kind of existential uh, ailments that we have or the existential realities where we don't have the answers, um, but yeah. you know, that, that death um, and seeing the body itself was a pivotal point that began his journey to seek enlightenment. Interesting. I did not, I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh, yeah. I think with that's an area when you ask where I'm fascinated by. I'm, I am. Wow. Fascinated. Okay. And what's the best advice that you've ever received? So my father um, always told my brother and I, when we were young, don't take life too seriously. Sounds kind of like, um, you know, just silly fatherly advice, to be honest. But um, actually, <laughs> as one, um, especially when you're in times of crisis um, and pain. And sometimes it's, it's been helpful for me to step out of like, kind of all of all of the drama and the circumstances that you may be in, and then mm -hmm. just come back to that, which is, you know, again, this is a story that's happening, and I'm repeating the story. And so yeah, and he still says that interesting. So how do you like, how do you interpret that? Do you interpret that as um you kind of go towards humor because that's what I do. I look for the joke like in in everything, you know, even in the most inappropriate places, I try to find the funny because I feel like it just kind of, it's like loosening a pressure valve for everybody. It lightens 
the energy? Uh, how, do, think, how do you interpret it? Uh, well, I think it's not, I definitely humor, but I think it's also just finding for me, it's like, okay, in any situation, like, let's take a step back. Let's kind of, you know, think about what my intention is in this moment or where I want to go. Um, and then also like realize like I can't be attached to anything like life will kind of be in constant flow. So, you know, also yeah, don't take anything too seriously in terms of like an expected outcome. Okay. Um, and really kind of focus on the journey as well, but humor. definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And what do you think you came into this life as Malika Chopra to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? You know, I feel very grateful for all of the privilege that I have in my life, um, mm -hmm. not just in terms of, you know, the education and, you know, how I grew up. But like, I do think, you know, my brother and I grew up in a very secure environment. Our mother is you know, she's like really the the mother of um, not just our family and extended family and our community. So she's actually the probably the biggest influence on in my life more than my father. But then I also, you know, obviously my father's work and wisdom um, and having him as my father has influenced me. And I think when we think about um, when we talked about turning 50, that actually was kind of a turning point and thinking about like, OK, what is my contribution? Uh, and what I've kind of realized as I reflect, my contribution is really as a mom, as a woman, where I can speak in a different way than say what my dad speaks like I can't do yeah. what my dad does but for me like I have an ability to connect with other women I have an ability to connect with children um, and so that's you know why these books I think have done well and that's my opportunity is to make impact in my unique way and what I'm realizing now that I've taken over um, Chopra Global my dad's company our focus really is to support um, teachers uh, around the world. So we have over um, 4,000 certified teachers of meditation and health in our community. And I can speak from my own experience, which is like my unique voice is for children and for moms. But we yeah. have others who have, you know, they're making impact in their communities in their unique ways. And so uh, when I think about legacy and my legacy is very much linked to my father's legacy because I grew up um, in this family and I have an opportunity, I think, to support, you know, other teachers and other people to find their voice and make impact. So is Chopra Global it is the main component of the organization to teach meditation and to and to branch out and teach it around the world to make it accessible and informative for for everybody? Is that yeah, the main? So you know, what we've done, it's one of those companies that's um reiterated in different ways in so many um, different times of life. Um, so traditionally, we had events, we had a spa in California, things like that. We actually still have um, events, but over the next year, we're going to transition from those. But what we really feel our unique impact in the next iteration um, is supporting these teachers. So we are offering um, certification 
to people in um, Ayurveda, which we began with, which is the healing system of India, which is a very in-depth, integrated system, uh, you know, with a modern lifestyle, the way that we teach it. Um, so people can come and just learn about it or just, you know, they can, uh, we have an app where you can just, um, you know, like other apps, just have your daily meditation, guided meditation but really for us, it's more about the lifelong journey. Um, and so we have people who uh, have studied with us for years or new people who are entering and really many who end up wanting to be able to teach and make impact in their communities. So okay. um, we offer certification programs in the health program in meditation um, and actually will um, next year uh, really be diving deeper into coaching. So really a holistic coaching program where we certify and support our students. Okay. And do you travel around a lot or uh, you pretty much stay at home base? You know, I travel as needed. Of course, COVID has changed everything where yeah. you know, we do so much at home. Um, my kids are older now. So, you know, for most of the last 15 years, I avoided travel as much as I could because uh, I wanted to be at home. But I had my mom who would come in and out um, and support me or be with my children whenever I needed to travel. Um, mm -hmm. So look what the next chapter holds um because i think everyone is figuring out travel and work yeah uh, we are a virtual company so that um you know allows us to and allows our um, employees to work wherever they may be okay so teachers are remote they're all over the world yeah yeah so our company is um you know remote but then mm -hmm. we have literally, um, I think, 4,300 teachers, every country you can imagine. Every no way. Wow. All over the world. Beautiful. And I just want to, um, as we wrap this up, there was something that you said in one of your speeches that I watched. And it was about, I think it had to do with your meeting with Eckhart Tolle as well. When you said, and this was years ago, that you felt like, I don't know if I'm accomplishing enough because I'm just a mom. And just repeat what he said to you, because I think it's really important. Yeah, no. So I think, you know, I've I grew up um, with this concept of dharma or purpose in life and that we all have this, you know, what is our unique offering? What is our legacy going to be? Um, and I, it's been something that always stressed me out. And so I shared that with Eckhart Tolle, which was like, you know, I just feel like a soccer mom, like I'm driving my kids from one activity to another and, you know, just barely trying to get my work done. And um, what he uh, said to me, which was so beautiful is, you know, first, never underestimate, you know, the work that you do as a mom. It's the most holy uh, role you can have. But also with whatever you are doing, he said, you know, there are, um, and I forget the exact word he used, but basically as individuals, we are each making impact in our communities. Um, and so whatever you are doing, do it with a sense of love and connection and purpose. And that really is the definition of living with intention. And so what it did, that experience for me just gave me this like kind of, again, that aha moment, like I'm doing what I'm meant to do at this point. I need to be doing it, living with that um, presence and love um, and sense of purpose. Yeah, I just want people to hear that because I, th I think it's for all the moms out there, <laughs> it's important. And I just want to show the book before I let you go, Buddha and the Rose by Malika Chopra. It's a wonder, it's a simple but beautiful story for kids and even for adults. I really, like I said, I really resonated with it. 
And um, I want to thank you so much for your generous time. It was lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. It's really great to connect. So thank of you. And I'm so glad you liked the book. It means loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you so much, Malika. Great. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Yep. Bye. Hey, so what an interesting interview, right? I really hope that you will go out and buy Buddha and the Rose and you can read it to your children. Your children could read it to you or you can just keep it on your nightstand. I actually keep the book on my night table next to my bed and I just, I love to look at the pictures. I love to read the simple message in the book as just kind of a tune-up and a reminder to really embrace and enjoy and feel blessed about the simple gifts that are in our world and the simple gifts that are in your life. You can also follow Malika Chopra on Instagram at Malika Chopra. So it's M-A-L-L-I-K-A-C-H-O-P-R-A at Malika Chopra. And you can follow me, of course, on Instagram at the Allison Kugel. So as always, I hope you got something out of this interview and I will catch you on the next go around. Peace. Peace.